0: We're working through Acts, and as I mentioned before, we're we're coming into the area, well, really all of Acts, but we're coming into an area of longer and longer pieces of narrative, so we'll probably be taking them in longer chunks, and then I'll just be choosing a couple of highlights out of each narrative uh, to work with. So today, in one Sunday, we're going to be covering what is called the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, the whole missionary journey in one Sunday. Uh, this is going to be chapters uh, 13 and 14. We're going to be focusing on 13. But in these two chapters, we have the very first real move of the church of, of, of Jesus into the, the Roman and Gentile world. And I wanted to put a map on the uh, screen so that you can see a little bit for those of you that need the reminder. I'm sure all of you have the missionary journeys of Paul memorized in your head, but just in case you've forgotten any of the cities, um, in chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark start here in Antioch where, where the, where the church was, was growing very much. I found out this week, I didn't know this, that this Antioch was the third biggest city in the Roman Empire. So it was a pretty huge and significant place. Then they moved on to Cyprus here and then, uh, moved, uh, west into Paphos and there they met a, um, a jewish magician sorcerer who gave them uh, some trouble and uh, ended up blind uh, for his trouble and uh, then they moved on by ship over to perga then to the antioch in pisidia which is in uh, what's now turkey but was then asia minor and then over to iconium lystra here it and 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 in derby in all of these cities they had opposition In all of these cities, uh, there was persecution. Uh, They were generally expelled or had to run away. In Lystra, Paul was stoned and left for dead. But um, also in each one of these cities, as they taught in the synagogues, they found both Jews and Romans and Greeks, Gentiles, who were willing to, number one, listen to them, but then also uh, received the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we're going to do today is focus on um, the first message of the Apostle Paul when he was in um, Antioch, and um, it's the, his whole sermon, so to speak, is recorded in Acts chapter 13. And before we read it, I would like to um, just make a comment or two, and it's this. It's been interesting to me, as I've thought about Acts through the years, but especially in these weeks, to think about what was the message that the apostles brought to their world, both the Jewish and the, and the Gentile world, as they were bringing the gospel into, into their context. Or to put it another way, if I would ask you, And say you had two minutes to share the gospel, what we call the gospel with someone, what would you say? And I suspect that most of us, particularly those of us who have a more evangelical background, would say something like this. You or we are all sinners separated from God because of our sin Jesus came and died on the cross to satisfy the requirements of a just God and to pay the penalty for our sin. When you put your faith in Christ, when you believe in him, when you believe it's true that you are a sinner and that he saves you from your sin, then you are born again. You are saved. And the result of that uh, is that you become a child of God, adopted into his family, that you are forgiven. That the Holy Spirit comes in you to help you live a holy life. And that when you die, you will go to heaven to live with God forever instead of going to hell to suffer eternal conscious torment. That's generally, in the nutshell, the gospel message as it's known here in the West and particularly in American evangelicalism. If you were really uh a a a deeply rooted christian reformed person maybe you heard it a little bit differently and now i'll follow the lines of the heidelberg catechism we are in our misery and our sin and then jesus comes as the redeemer and then we live a life of thankfulness because of the salvation that he has granted to us and i don't i don't want to tear away at any of that But it's fascinating to, again, listen to what Paul said when he preached the gospel. And how does it match with our conceptions of the gospel? And I think we have things to learn. And I think what we can learn from Acts is that our understanding of the gospel, the good news of salvation, becomes deeper and richer. So I'd like to read with you Acts chapter 13, the verses 16 to 32. And as we go along, I'll just be making a couple of comments. Um, It'll show up on the screen, or if you have a Bible, feel free uh, to open it. So we're starting at verse 16. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God. See, there's this men of Israel, there's these Jews and then uh, uh, Romans and Greeks who were who were God fearers. They, they, they weren't Jews in the sense that they became circumcised, but they were God fearers intended to join with the Jews in, in the synagogue. Listen, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. So you see here, Paul starts his message by going back to the history, as we've seen all through Acts until now. The, the 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 sermons go back to the history of the Jews. But Paul doesn't start, interestingly enough, here with Abraham. He starts with the Exodus. And then he goes on. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said... I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised, as he promised. So now Paul switches into this focus on the king. There's Saul, the first king. Then there's David, the great king, looking forward to this great son, king of, of David, who is going to follow. is Jesus. Before Jesus coming, before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, that is the Messiah who's coming. No, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, Sons of the family of Abraham. And now he brings Abraham in and those among you who fear God to us. And now he means to the Jews. Has been sent the message of this salvation, saying the Jews were chosen to be the, the messengers of this salvation into the world. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him or understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning them. And you'll notice again this theme of accusation to the Jewish leaders that's come out all through Acts up until now. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from his tree, from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. OK, so then he goes into this little brief story about Jesus being killed, laid in the tomb and and, and that Jesus rose from the dead. And now it comes. And we bring you the good news. Which today we call the gospel. That's how that that's translated today. And what is this gospel? And what is this good news? So Paul is summarizing his whole sermon, this whole historical thing that he's done. And now we bring you this good news. That what God has promised to the fathers, the king. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, I have begotten you. Okay. So Paul says the good news is. Jesus. Who has fulfilled what was written in the second psalm. The second Psalm is a pretty interesting Psalm. I'm going to throw a couple of verses up here for you just to, to, to remind you. So, so some of us just may need a little reminder. Why do the nations raise, uh, rage? We'll throw it on the screen share. Thanks. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord. And against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So Psalm 2 is this psalm about the kings of the earth. Setting themselves against the Lord, who is really the king of the earth, saying, I don't want to have any. I want to I I want to get away from him. And then Psalm 2 says in verse six, I'm not going to read the whole psalm. He who sits in the heavens laughs the lord holds them in derision then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying and here's the point as for me i have set my king on zion my holy hill so when paul in this sermon and again these were people who knew their old test their their jewish bible when paul in this sermon refers to psalm 2 with just this little sentence he's bringing to their mind the whole psalm and the center of the psalm is, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So what is the good news? What is the gospel? According to Paul, in this very first sermon, on his very first missionary's journey, the sermon that's recorded in great detail by Luke. The whole point and the whole conclusion is, God has set this king, Jesus, on Zion, my holy hill. This is all kingdom language. Caesar is not king. Herod is not king. No other god is king. Zeus is not king. There's only one king. And that, says Paul, is good news. That is the gospel. Then he goes on. There's a second part that he says. In uh, Acts chapter 3, I'm just going to skip a little part, and that's mostly just because of time this morning. Then he concludes again. So Paul is concluded by saying there's a king, and then he concludes Let it be known to you, therefore, so when a preacher says, therefore, you hope in either case that he's coming to the end, therefore, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So through this, Jesus, forgiveness of sins and freedom from everything from which you could not be freed. By the law of Moses. There's two things here. There's the forgiveness of sins. What does that mean? And particularly, what is sin? I wanted to uh, read with you together a quote this morning from Lisa Sharon Harper. Who wrote a book that I'm actually in the middle of reading called The Very Good Gospel. I actually highly recommend it. But uh, in one of the chapters, uh, she talks about sin. And here's the quote. The Greek word, and this is in the New Testament, translated sin, is derived from a Greek archery term that means to miss the mark of perfection. This word, along with ancient Greek culture, focuses on the individual fundamentally... Wait, I'm This word, along with ancient Greek culture... Focus on the individual focused on the individual fundamentally shaped the Christian view of sin. Consequently, Christians typically seek perfection in a person's character and unblemished outward behavior. In other words, our idea of sin tends to be individual and focused on character and individual behavior. But the Hebraic concept of tov me'ad, which comes from Genesis chapter 1, God's declaration that what he had made was very good, gives us a sense of what God considers emphatically good, perfect. Relational wholeness and wellness. Genesis 1 does not necessarily refer to the very goodness of the object itself. It refers to the completeness of the whole and the overwhelming wellness of the relationships among its aggregate parts. If this is the Hebrew concept of perfection, then sin is anything that breaks the relationships that God called tof mead in the beginning. Sin is and causes separation. So Lisa Sharon Harper and lots of writers, especially in today's world, are broadening their perspective of sin. And not seeing it as exclusively or perhaps even primarily as an individual thing. It's how do I fit into the whole and what's broken about all of us? And of course, we have to remember when Paul talked about the forgiveness of sins in this broken Roman world, that the individual idea wasn't as strong as it is in our culture. And these were people who were suffering on all kinds of levels from oppression and from being from being under the the yoke of Rome and so forth. All this stuff that we've talked about a lot. So the, the sins of society and the oppressions and the 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 exploitation that's going on, all the brokenness, everything that takes away our wholeness and unity as people is taken away and forgiven. By this Jesus. And then he says being freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And this required for me just a little bit a little bit of thinking. What what's he talking about here? Well, the law of Moses was intended to do two things for Israel. It was intended to bring Israel into relationship with God, the creator. Remember the first, the first law, as the law sum, uh, summarized: "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your mind." It's the first, the first table, the first commandment. The second is, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." The second purpose of the Ten Commandments of the Torah of the Law of Moses was to build a society that was just. And was a place of well-being for Israel in the first place, but then for the stranger within the gates. So the law of God, the law of Moses was designed to bring people into relationship with God and bring people into right relationship with each other. And it could not do that. It wasn't capable of doing that for all kinds of reasons. Jesus has come to free us. And what the law could not, what the law could not do, Jesus does by taking death and evil upon himself into the grave and by bursting out of the grave and bringing new life everywhere in the world. So Paul, Paul's fundamental message to these people in Antioch of Pisidia, the first sermon the first evangelistic rally focuses on three things. Jesus is king. There's forgiveness of sin, which has this broad sweep of me. And there's the ability to build a society that was intended, the same kind of society intended by the law of Moses, where we're in relationship to God. And in harmonious, balanced, just relationship with each other. That's the good news, the gospel that Paul preached in that first sermon. And then he concludes. Should come up on the screen. Acts 1340. Beware or watch carefully, therefore. Lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers and be astounded and perish. And he's quoting from a combination of Isaiah 29 and Habakkuk 1. Four, and here's where I want to go to. I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. I am doing a work. In your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. This is the gospel. That Jesus is doing a work. That you would not believe. Even if someone told it to you. It's really hard to see sometimes. In the brokenness in which we live. In Christ, God is reconciling the world. To himself. Making whole again. Remember our tagline from when we studied Romans. Rescue all the way down. And all the way up. This is our hope. And this is the reason. Why we get up every morning. Because this Jesus has come. He's king. Forgives. Forgives. And he works through his spirit and through us to build the kind of society that God intended from the very first chapters of Genesis, chapters one and two. So as we go into communion in a couple minutes, I invite you again just to come to this Jesus, to this king, king mentioned in Psalm two, to come with your brokenness, to come with your sin come with the brokenness of the world to receive the bread and to receive the juice or the wine and to be fed, to be energized, be given new insight, be given new strength, be given new perspective, perhaps new hope, to then be sent out into your world whatever your world is, with this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ.